Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Master Photography Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me in this episode. I'm going to tell you what color of background photographers should use for composite photography. But before we do that, there's a couple of items to update you on. The first is the Lightroom hardware testing project, which I'm sure many listeners are going to be disappointed. This episode is not that. I skipped one in August 2019. I really want to put a Photo Taco out every single month. But I also want to make sure Photo Taco is a very well-researched and prepared kind of show. My intention in August 2019 was to release an episode about Lightroom Classic 8.4, and actually it was 8.3 when I started planning, and hardware testing that I want to be able to do. I want to be able to do some testing that will be repeatable that I can do as Adobe releases updates to Lightroom so that I can tell you kind of the impact those releases have on performance in particular. I'm very convinced most of us feel like Lightroom is slow because of the develop module and the sliders not performing as quickly as we'd like them to. And Adobe seems to be working on it a lot. Uh, The last several releases, I don't know how many, lots, lots of releases, like maybe the last three, four, five of them, have had big pieces of performance as part of the update. And it's been really difficult to kind of quantify that. You hear people say like anecdotal experience. They downloaded the update. They went through and looked at it and tested it. And they're like, oh, yeah, it feels faster. But some people, they want it to feel faster. Like the psychological aspect is there. They're like, oh, please, please be faster. And so they're going to see it being faster, even though it might not be a ton faster. And others who are down on Lightroom and and it call, say it's Grandpa Lightroom or, or that there's problems, slow issues, whatever it is, uh, they may have psychologically like, I want it to be slow. I, I don't want this to work. Not because it's they, they really don't want it to, but just they're down on it. They have a negative attitude towards Lightroom. Anyway, we all have those things that impact everything that we we do. And I want something that's a little bit more quantifiable. It's a big challenge. There's not good tools for this, uh, at least not anything that's remotely possible for me to use. And uh, I don't have tons of hardware to test it on. So it, it's hard. This is not a difficult or an easy problem to solve. And I've got a plan and I started to do a bunch of testing in uh, in August and, and a little bit before that. And I hoped to have it done in August so that I could give you all a bunch of information about the, the performance of the develop module. What sliders are heavy? What sliders are easy? Does it matter graphics or not? Does it matter processor? All of these kinds of variables and things that are there, Mac, PC, all that. And I just didn't get through it. And and I'm struggling with it. As I've gone and done the testing, after I've done like, you know, two or three hours of it across different kinds of environments, different computers, different hardware, different variables, then I realize as I'm testing things, oh, I need to actually change a little bit of this. And so then I have to start over and go back and do more. And it's a project I really, really have high interest in. So I'm not giving up. This isn't that it was a good idea and I'm done, but it's manual testing. It takes a lot of time and 
I'm just not ready yet. So the thing that you can rely on, though, the thing that's going to be good here is any recommendations or advice I give you, either through comments on the show notes at phototacopodcast.com or in the Facebook group. You can search for Photo Taco Podcast there. Um, any advice that I provide is being influenced by the information that I do have because I do have some data. I do have some information that's helping me to fully understand what hardware it is that people, photographers should invest in with their computers, what things actually matter, what things don't, which sliders might you expect to be slow to update, all those kinds of things. So I am being influenced by the data that I have. It's just not ready to be shared publicly and stick with me. <laughs> I've had a lot of people offer. I, I put it out there several episodes ago that if you were interested in helping me with this project and doing some testing, it's, it's probably going to take like 90 minutes or more of your time to do it. Then, um, then let me know. And I've had a lot of people respond to that. So as soon as I have something that's actually kind of repeatable and, and feels solid as my approach for testing, I will get that out to people and they can, t- they can help me. And we'll, we'll all try to conquer this together and then kind of redo testing as Adobe releases updates, that kind of a thing. It's just not ready yet. All right. Next topic or next news item, Lightroom Classic 8.4 has been released a while back and it's good to go. It gets the photo toggle seal of approval. Enough time has passed without significant issues being reported to me or in the Adobe forums that the most current release as of this episode here in mid-September 2019, it's Lightroom Classic 8.4, gets the photo toggle seal of approval. Most photographers should not have issues upgrading to Lightroom Classic 8.4, but the largest issue I have seen, there is one, there's a small number of photographers who have had Lightroom Classic 8.4 hang when launching the program. Like bad enough, it never actually launches all the way. (laughs) It just hangs there. And if you experience that, the solution right now would be to roll back to Lightroom Classic 8.3. That's worked for the people who've had a problem. Uh, Adobe in the forums has acknowledged the bug and they are working on it. I presume a fix will be coming out at some point. And, uh, and, but it's a small enough representation that you're not likely to have a problem. And even if you do, it's simple enough to roll back to 8.3 that you can go ahead and give it a try. And if you run into it, you just roll back. Okay, so those are the two updates. Good to go on on Lightroom Classic 8.4, and I'm not giving up on the Lightroom hardware testing project. Now let's get into the topic this week. I talked about a recent client shoot I did uh, where the client needed me to match the look of a corporate headshot from the CEO of his company. And it, it meant that I needed to do something called a composite. And it's probably a term many photographers are familiar with, but I'm going to define it a little bit more it, later in the episode will be the the next little topic that we go through here. But you can listen if you if you're interested in hearing like more details about the shoot and why it is I decided to do this episode on composites, backgrounds for composites. Go listen to the Master Photography podcast in mid September 2019 called Fall Mini Session Tips and Matching a Corporate Headshot. You'll hear me talk more about the specific client project <laughs> job I was hired for. To, uh, to do to match a corporate headshot, which is challenging and fun. And I really loved it. But go, go listen to that. There'll be a link in the show notes to it. In this episode, I want to outline my reasons for recommending a white background be used for composite work. So we'll get into that a lot more throughout the episode. But let's start with what is a composite photo? I want to look out for those that are on the beginning end of the journey 
and uh, in the mastering their photography here on the Photo Taco podcast. I'm I really reach for the hobbyists and beginners. That's uh, some that's the group I identify with still, and uh, and it's it's important to me to try to make things as understanding as understandable as possible, even if you don't have a ton of experience in the photography that listening to this podcast, you'll be able to gain a lot of insight and learn a lot of things. So let's start with defining a composite photography. If you're newer, you may not be entirely sure what that means. And kind of at the root of it is a composite is it it's composing a single photo out of two photos. There's, it's really different though. Another term you might hear with taking thing pixels from multiple photos and put them together in a single photo. Luminosity masking is a term that's used with that because that's literally what you're doing. You're you're figuring out what pixels to take from which photo, and also adjusting how you're going to adjust those pixels. You can do that by luminance values too. So that's not what this this episode is at all, but similar sort of concept where you're. You're kind of merging photos together. Um, When a photographer talks about a composite, they're talking about taking the subject out of one photo, usually a a model, a portrait. It's usually a portrait, usually a model. And then you're pasting that model or the subject onto another photo. I have an example in the show notes. So in the example, I show a photo of me. <laughs> I took photos of myself. I spent a bunch of time actually on a Saturday morning getting all of the images together that I needed to be able to really talk to this and have some examples. So you're really going to want to visit the show notes in for this episode so you can see those images. But I, I took an image that has me against a white background. And it's really an unedited image right out of camera pretty much. And it's except, you know, converting it from raw to JPEG. And, um, and you can see that. And then I show you the gray background. And this is the same background I had to use with my client that I talked about in the master photography episode. And then I show a third image where it has me with that gray background. I put myself onto that gray background, even though that wasn't the background that I shot with. And that's a composite. That's what we're talking about with a composite. And it's really, it's, I love it. I, composite photography is one of my favorite things to do. It's, it's really fun to do. And wow, what a great way to learn photography. Having a project, I don't know how you are, but for me, I need a project to help me figure out what I have to learn. Like having a problem to solve is, is an important thing. Just sitting there with like, you know, I have something I need to learn, but I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't make much progress. Maybe there's people who do, but I don't. And it's it's fun to have something that's challenging and a project to work on so that you can learn and figure out how to do things. Um, I, I just show also in the show notes the, the, the way you can just take exactly the same image, the same extracted photo, the model, me in this case, and put a wholly, a completely different background. So I, I have the next shot is one where there's a brick wall with a uh, photo taco painted on it that uh, is in the background. And it's fun. It's a, it's a really fun kind of image there. So you can go check that out and uh, see those images and see, see how the composite worked. Um, now, so that, now that I've defined it, and you can even see an example in the show notes of what we're talking about, let's talk about why when I say composite, most photographers who already knew what that was thought about green screens. And if you didn't exactly know the word composite, 
when I say green screen, you know, you know exactly what's going on. You, you've seen that. We're all familiar with that. We've seen it in like, you know, weather, weather people that do this on news stations. Um, you've seen it with shooting CGI for movies. It's pretty common knowledge. Most of us are used to the fact that, yeah, green screens get used in order to do this thing where you want to have a model remove the background and put them in a wholly different background, something completely different, uh, a background they were never in. And, um, and so green, why, why is green used then? We all knew it, but why? And the reason why is it's uncommon to find green in the model. Your job is to remove the stuff you don't want. You want to get rid of the green and keep the model. And you're just not going to find green, especially this bright neon green that's usually in the model. You're not going to find that um, in naturally occurring. It's it's not in their skin, at least not very much, unless your white balance is really off. Uh, it's not in their hair, unless someone dyed their hair green. People do that. Or it's it's usually not in their clothes, although that occurs way more commonly than than the first two. And that can present a challenge. So having the model not wear green and using a green background would be advised. And if they are going to have to wear green, then you could use like blue as a background, which is another common way to do it. But the same reason you're trying to have the background be a color that is not going to occur in your model. And then that makes it easier or supposed to make it easier to remove the color you don't want and leave just the pixels that you do want. And so that's that's the reason that people use back green backgrounds and why you immediately thought of composite photography, green backgrounds, and, and the like. But I'm going to tell you that I don't think you should use a green background. <laughs> and we're going to get into that about why that is. And, uh, and it's not that you can't. Absolutely, there's a reason that you could. But let, let's keep going in, in this discussion so you can see where my thinking comes from. All right, now I want to describe briefly, not in a ton of detail, how you remove the background for a composite. This is not going to be a step-by-step guide. All right, this is just kind of basics, basics. I wanted to give you a kind of a starting point where you can go and do some research on your own. I don't have any other podcasts on this topic yet. I probably will add episodes that where I describe this, at least my process and what I do. Although this probably will be better for the YouTube channel that I'm working on as well. I have so many projects that I'm trying to do. Uh, so much so much to, that I want to do in so little time. Okay, so to remove a background for a composite photo, you're going to have to use Photoshop. And if Photoshop is something that scares you, if you're listening right now, and you're like, oh, Photoshop, I can't do Photoshop, that it's paralyzing and is a problem for you. Look, look at it as an opportunity. Like I talked about earlier, I need a specific project to be able to go do it. This, this is really, I think, why most people or a lot of photographers struggle with Photoshop because you open up that tool, there's buttons everywhere. There's menus all over there. It's just daunting. Like, okay, now what do I do? And without a project, without a goal that you have when you go into Photoshop, it's tough. And I totally understand that. I've been at the same spot. Like, now what? What do I do? If you need help with that, 
there is another podcast episode I can recommend. It's one that I did with Aaron Nace, and it's called Taking the Intimidation Out of Photoshop. It's kind of the same. We just go through exactly what I just talked about. Have a goal and, and a few of like the very beginning tools and things that you should learn about. As you learn things in Photoshop, the skills that you need to do composite work, the skills of removing a background, that's fairly easy as Photoshop goes. So I'm not going to say it's like simple. It's just for Photoshop, this is a fairly easy task. (laughs) And it's not completely simple by any means. You have to learn how to use a few things that are definitely not self-explanatory. But you have to learn selection, selection tools. And there's a bunch of tools in Photoshop to do selections. You have to learn layers. And when you combine those things, those two things together, selections, layers, and I guess layer masking is, would be maybe a third drop broad subject. Then you are you learn, you get some really valuable skills that are going to help you to do a lot in Photoshop. Just learning those things really, really helps. So the, the process of, of what you have to do in Photoshop, it's something called extraction. Uh, you are extracting the model or the subject in one fro- photo And then you're placing that extracted image, the extracted pixels that you took from the one photo, and you're pasting them onto another background. So like in my example that I I gave earlier, and you you can go find in the show notes, I took a picture of myself against a white background. And then I extracted myself from that background. I, I pulled the file into Photoshop. I selected the pixels that were me. And then I pasted those pixels onto the gray background. You can go see in the show notes again how that works. So I think it's it's not too difficult. And I, I can break it down into kind of four steps. And I, I already sort of went through it just now. Number one, step one is you've got to select the model or subject without selecting the background. And again, having the background be a different color than occurs in the model can help with that. That, that can make it easier. It doesn't always, and I'm, I'll tell you why. The second step is you just got to copy those pixels. And there's multiple ways you can do that in Photoshop too, but you got to copy those pixels. Then you got to paste those pixels onto another background. And the last one, and this is probably the hardest of those steps, well, maybe step one with the selection too. But the last one is you you almost always have to do some adjustments of those pasted pixels in Photoshop so that they match the background. It's almost never the same like, color tint. It's almost never the same brightness and darkness in the in the pixels that you paste in. And so you usually have to make some adjustments to make it so that it looks very seamless against the background. It's hard to tell when you're just pulling the pixels from the, the first image uh, before pasting them in what you're going to have to do. So the details about how to do all of that, I'm not going to go into here. There's just not time. But Basically, the the main tools. I'm going to mention by name what they are, so that you can go and learn about them. You have a you have a starting point now. You have some direction and assignments of what you can do to go learn how to do this. The, there's six things that you need to learn about in Photoshop in order to have do a good job with compositing. Um, number one, the quick selection tool. I'd say that's an important one to learn. Number two is select by color range. And number three is selecting by luminosity masking. And that one's more optional. You can do a whole lot without it. I didn't use it in the compositing I did this time. But there is a plugin that I can recommend from my good friend Greg Benz, 
uh, he, he creates a plugin called Luminzia that can really help you with this and simplifies luminosity masking significantly. He offers a great course on how to use his plugin and it really teaches you how to do luminosity masking. So if, if you want it, you've probably heard that term a bunch as a photographer. If you want to learn it, here's a good project for you. And that's a good tool. And there's multiple training courses you're already learning about here to go help you with that. Uh, the fourth thing is refining selections using the select and mask workspace. And I really like that workspace. When it first came out, um, it replaced something called refine edges that was in Photoshop before. And I, I thought refine edges was better initially but I've really learned how to use that workspace now and I like it. It does a very good job. I think it had some performance issues initially too, and it's, it's been better in subsequent updates of Photoshop. So that's a really good tool to learn how to use. You can get your selection close, but then using that select a mask workspace allows you to manipulate your selection in ways that really help you to be able to, to see what you're selecting, what you're not and adjust it. Okay. And the fifth thing this is harder. This is going to take some time. Um, adjustment layers, especially focusing on hue saturation, levels, and brightness contrast. Those are the three kinds of adjustment layers that will help you. And that's for doing those like post pasting of the pixels onto the other background. That'll help you to figure out how to modify or adjust those pixels so that they fit better with the background and look more seamless with the background. And the sixth one is layer masking. You don't have to learn layer masking to be able to do composites because you can just select stuff correctly and then do copy and paste. But um, layer masking is another thing I did use in this composite example. And uh, it's to make it, it's another tool I have to make those pixels when I pasted them to, to fit into the scene. I can layer, I can mask out some of the pixels that didn't look right and and take it to a, a whole new level. So if you learn those things, if you go through those six things, I'll just say them real quick again. Quick selection, select by color range, select by luminosity masking, refining selections in select and mask workspace, adjustment layers, and layer masking. If you can learn those, you are going to be so prepped for doing a lot of work in Photoshop. And you will have a, a whole a massive expansion of tooling at your fingertips to be able to, to work on things like this. All right. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about it right now. I give you a launching point. If you're new to this, if none of that makes any sense, go to the show notes, grab that list of tools, hit YouTube, uh, find courses that are out there and, uh, and learn how to do it. And this is a really good project that can help you to facilitate that. Now, you know, something you can do so you can to, to help you learn those things. All right, now let's get to the, the whole meat of this. Why would I recommend that beginners should use a white background for composites? We talked about like there's a reason the pros use green in the background because it doesn't occur on your model and white that occurs on your model a lot. It can match the highlights in your model. It can match their teeth. It can match the whites of their eyes. It's really common to have white in their clothing it seems like that would be a bad idea, right? Doesn't doesn't that seem like it's not good? Well, I've done a lot of work with composites. I have done team and individual photos for a local high school, for basketball team photos for a number of years now, where I composite the athletes onto backgrounds that look like, I don't know, magazine covers or, or ads that, that uh, they can share on Instagram that don't have like the gym in the background. This is, it's really cool graphics around it that, 
that uh, that look really neat and it, it's so fun to create them. I, I enjoy it so much and that I, I've gained a lot of Photoshop skills because of those projects and uh, it's been super fun. So I've, I've used both white and green backgrounds and I'm telling you my recommendation for someone who has never done a composite before, if you're just getting into this, you want to give yourself the best possible chance having no experience to make it all work. I think you should start with a white background like I did in my example. Here's why. This this is my reasoning for it. It's not to say that green shouldn't be used because obviously people do and they're very successful at it. I'm telling you that because white is far more forgiving as a background. Lighting mistakes, uh, other mistakes that you might do in shooting I have had shoots be far more salvageable when I'm using a white background compared to green. If I used green, I've in cases where I've made mistakes and when you're beginning, you should expect you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Then I needed to, I had to turn to like way more extreme editing to make it work. So that's why I recommend it. It's just easier to recover. It's easier to cover up mistakes that you're making while you're shooting with white than it is with green. And I'm going to give you some tips at the end of the episode of things you can do to to make it so that you have the best possible chance, no matter what color of background it is. And they're absolutely needed if you're going to use green. But I mean, imagine kind of the, the problem here. We are trying to select only the pixels of the model and ignore, not use the pixels of the background. That's the whole goal here. Well, that's hard to do. It's hard to make selections work well. Even if you are really good with the six things I, I listed that you need, it's it's really tough. It's really hard to make those selections work well. The better you can do with the tips I'll share at the end, the more likely it is that those selections go well. But it can be really hard to make those selections work right, especially around like the fine details in the background. I'm going to get into more of that in just a second. But it's it's just something where it's easier, more forgiving if you have white because you don't have to eliminate all the white. You having a little extra white left over doesn't look too bad. But having even a hint of green as you go to paste that into another background is bad. <laughs> it looks really, really bad. Okay, let me, let me go through I, the, the example. And again, you're going to want to check this out in the show notes because you'll see the images that really kind of illustrate this better, but I'll do my best to talk through it. Uh, I spent a bunch of time in my basement setting up for taking the photos that I need for this episode in particular. And um, I used, this is an emphasis, I used relatively inexpensive lighting gear. I mean, that's another challenge. You you might hear advice or have tutorials given to you from people that do green screen work who are number one, experts in Photoshop, and number two, they've got professional level lighting and green screen gear, like thousands and thousands of dollars of gear to make it work. And that is not what I used here. I'm using gear that is accessible to beginners, gear that won't break the bank. It's an important aspect that I, it's it's super important to me 
that I share with you and have experience with the gear. And I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes to the gear that I have. It's inexpensive, relatively inexpensive gear for that you can get to help you do a lot of different lighting projects, including the green screen or the composite kind of stuff that I'm talking about with a white screen. Um, I So I set this up. I set up my lights. I set up my screen. And I then I took images of myself. Obviously, that's what I shared with you at the beginning is in the episode, in the show notes. And uh, thank goodness I could do control. I could control my Canon ADD through my iPad. That made this way, way simpler to be able to take photos of myself and, and get focused to work well and uh, see kind of where my positioning was. I It didn't make it so it was perfect. So when, when you look at the show notes, um, you can see my setup. I show the green screen and I show the white screen and I didn't change the lights. I kept all of them in the same position. I left the camera on the tripod in exactly the same spot. And then when I show you the two images that I have, one with green background and one with white background where I'm trying to do the same pose, it's not exactly the same pose. I mean, it's it's pretty close, but I don't have my head in exactly the same position. I don't have my shoulders in exactly the same position. I'm not even the same forward and backward. You can tell one is as I'm slightly back further than the other. And it's just, you know, tough to to do that when it's just you to make sure that you have it exactly the same way. But it's it's close enough that you can get the idea. Uh, <clears throat> and then I took both images, the green background and the white background image. I extracted myself from both and then I put myself on gray backgrounds and you can see that side by side with each other and they both look pretty good. They both end up with a pleasing result. I'm happy with both of them. The lighting is not consistent between the two because my position is just slightly different, but it illustrates the point that you can do you can do really well with either one. They both look good. And I, I liked what it is, but then I show you the next image in the show notes. I show you the big challenge that you have with green. And maybe it's because my skills are just not good enough, or maybe because I don't have that pro level lighting. And I think that would make a huge difference. I I know it would, if I had much better lighting that was continuous and, and I could position it uh, to light this background more. Now I'll share some tips about how to improve this. But, you know, it looks like the green image, the image with me on green, looks like it's a, a pretty good background. It looks like I have it pretty well lit. And I'll, I'll share with you an image in the show notes that kind of tells you that it's not. But what it ended up doing was I can get rid of almost all the green. Really, really close. But the place where it struggles, and and I did this by using the color range selections in Photoshop and selecting the green background, of course, and then I inverse the image and make it so that it's just selecting me. And then I fine tune the selection in the select and mask workspace. And that allows me because the the selecting of the green in the image got like super close to the edges and it was really, really close. It's probably within four or five pixels of being just totally selecting it all out. And then with a selective mask workspace, I can fine tune it and get rid of those other pixels. And and it does a great job. But where it really struggles is in fine details, super fine details where it's not a smooth edge like hair. Hair is really hard with compositing. It is really hard to make it all look good, make it so those hairs are all still there and 
not have remnants of the color of the background that you shot against. So this is again why I'm telling you that white is more forgiving because if you have remnants of white in your image, that's not such a big deal. That That's actually kind of like what hair light is. We go for that on purpose in professional portraits because we, we add a hair light, a, a light from the back that's shining on us and, and puts a little bit of a white glow around. It's just, you know, a couple of pixels and that's so that's not a big deal to leave that behind, have that come along with the pixels of the model when you extract them and paste them onto a new background. What is a problem is green <laughs> because it does not look normal at all. And I have an image in the show notes that shows you really well, super up close of my head and the tiny bit of hair I have left on my head. That's green. There's a lot of green there. It's not as obvious on any of the other edges that were the more smooth edges, my ears, the rest of my face, the shirt that you can see in the in the photo, it barely registers or shows up at all. It, it, there is a little bit there, but the, the hair is obvious. It looks like I dyed my hair. It looks like I have dyed tips, only it's like really small tips on my on the little tiny bit of hair that I have on my head. And that is, I have never been able to fully get rid of that in all of the work I've done on green screens and all the lights that I've tried to use. I have never been able to make that completely go away with just doing selections. It just doesn't seem to work that way. It is fixable though. Um, and before I, I talk about fixing it, I should mention that if you look close in the image, I don't know how well it'll show up in the smaller sized images I have in the show notes, but on my big 32 inch, uh, 2k screen, it's obvious that like the collar collar, like the shirt collar, <laughs> not color said weird, but collar, um, has a green tint to it on the left-hand side of my shirt. And then on the right-hand side, um, the viewer's right, not the model right. <laughs> the viewer right as you're looking at the image. And then on the right-hand side in the highlights, especially um, up on my head, because I don't have much hair, there's a lot of places for reflections to happen and highlights to be. And uh, there's green tint in there as well. So to fix it, that, that's called spill. This in, in composite work, when you have the color of the background showing up in the model, that's called spill. And like I said, I've never been able to fully eliminate that spill. I'll give you some tips on how to reduce it, minimize it, make it the best you can. But I've never been able to. And so when you have green, you got to do something else for sure. When it's white, you can kind of get away with leaving it because we don't care that white has spilled over into the model at least not nearly as much as green. That's that's a real problem. Okay, so the way I fixed it, um, after I made the initial selection in the selected mass workspace, then I did some other selections and used other layers. And you can see in the image in the show notes that there's a bunch of layers in there. I created two additional adjustment layers. They were um, hue saturation adjustment layers. And I did, um, I used color range selection and I selected most of the green in one layer and then used the hue saturation adjustment to fix it and make the and change the hue to match the color of my hair 
And then uh, I had to do another one because I didn't quite get all of the green. But if I got more aggressive on the green, it started to select parts of my skin because there is a little bit of green. There's kind of a green tint in people's skin. Um, Then I had to I decided to do a second adjustment layer with masking color range mask uh, selection set to the other green that wasn't impacted. and, And again, fix that by changing the hue to be to match my hair. So it's possible to do. I'd say this is uh, a little more advanced kind of thing in Photoshop to learn versus what you can do with a white background. I think the steps and the process, the tools that you need to understand and learn in with a white background are simpler for someone that's not super familiar with Photoshop or experienced with Photoshop to do to give you a little bit a better chance of success. But it is totally possible to make it so that you can get rid of the green. You have to do as much as you can to minimize it initially. But to when you get it down to like, I can't throw away any more pixels. I need to select those pixels and they just still have too much of a tint of green. Then you can do a hue saturation adjustment layer and make it blend in. So I show you the, the results of after the adjustment layers and they're good. It turns out really well. It turns out really good. And it's it's a helpful thing. Then I show you the example from white, and this is an ex- this is what I came with up to up with with white, and it just looks like there's a hair light on my hair. That's what it ends up looking like. Even though, like if that was, it's similar to how the green was showing up, but I don't have to get rid of it all because it's white, and I can keep it in there. And then when I paste it onto the layer, the background I'm going to go to, I can make further adjustments, be like, okay, that's too much white. There's too much of a hair light there. And I can reduce it really, really easily in Photoshop uh, and, and make it blend in really well. So it's, it's a nice advantage, especially if you can have some brighter areas in your background behind the person's head or behind their hair. That can make it so it's like, you don't have to do anything. You paste it in that light, the the brighter area of your new background that you're pasting them onto has, has a brighter area there. It works. It works really, really well. And it's easier to do than it is with green, totally possible with green and it's worth learning how, uh, but it's, it's good. And, and I want to mention right here too, if this would not be my, I would not give the same advice for video work. I haven't done a ton with video. I'm not an expert with video by any means. I know way more about stills, but I have done some tests. I've tried some stuff out um, with video. I'm intending to produce some Photo Taco YouTube videos against a green screen so that I can take out my background from my basement and have me against whatever background I want. And so I want to learn that. And I'm trying to get better at it. And I have some ideas on things that I'm going to do because it still hasn't worked very well. But for video work, the white is an option, but it's harder. So it's like the reverse for stills. White is way more difficult to deal with than green or blue. And you just, you have to nail the lighting. You have to nail the tips that I'm going to share right now, in fact. So let's, let's go over the tips, the things that you can do to make it so that you have the best possible chance. And this is stuff I wish people had told me and made clear in the stuff that I looked into, it, it, it was not clear. The, the emphasis was on what to do in Photoshop with the spill. Then it was, what can you do to make it so you have the least amount of spill possible? So there's, there's two tips that you need to 
to keep in mind as you're doing this. The first tip, lighting, 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 lighting. Did you get that? It's lighting. Lighting is critical. Lighting is so super important. So not only by trying this project and trying to do a composite, will you enhance or build up Photoshop skills? You're going to improve and enhance your lighting skills a lot because this is really difficult if you have bad lighting. If you don't have good lighting on the screen, it's it's almost impossible to do a good extraction or it makes it just a lot tougher to make a good extraction. Again, white gives you a better chance though than green because you can leave white in and have it. you have a chance of being able to blend that and make it look right. Green, you just, you can't leave it. It's got to go away and you've got to have to figure out how to deal with it. Um, okay, so lighting is critical. The second one is the distance between the model and the background. I'll go into more detail, but let's talk more about lighting. It's it's fine to say, okay, got to have good lighting, but what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to have good lighting? I think you kind of understand the good lighting on the model. Yeah, absolutely part of a, a portrait and composite is having good lighting. You, if you have like, you know, really poor lighting on the model and you do a good job with the screen screen, it doesn't really matter. Your end result is going to be bad because you don't have good lighting on the model. So you got to do that. There's lots of ways we've talked about it on the master photography podcast. I've talked about it some on photo taco here too. I'm not going to go into the details here because that's not the emphasis of this episode, but you've got to be, have good lighting on the model. And, and that's all I'm going to say about it here. Now, but the the screen or the background, you have to light that well. And this is what I don't see a lot of photographers doing. And this is something that took me a long time to start learning and and figuring out what's going to make it more successful for me to be able to to, uh, extract the model from the background better. Having good lighting means having even lighting on the background. Really even lighting, not having hot spots. And I can't do it. <laughs> I'm not even close to perfect at it. And I have evidence in the show notes. I use an app called Green Screener. It's available for iOS, Android, and a computer. If you want to use, if that's like, you know, people in Hollywood, I think use the same app. Anyway, it's it's really useful. I didn't discover it until a little bit ago. And um, it's really shown me what I need to work on with my lighting in my backgrounds so that I can do a better job with this. So you'll, you'll see an image in the show notes that shows it's a screenshot from my iPad of the actual environment. You can compare it with the environment I had before um, with the white and the green backgrounds. I, I show you my shooting setup and you can see the hotspots. Now the green background one in particular, if you look at that one, the image of me against the green background, the background looks pretty even to my eyes anyway, and I, I suspect most of you looking at it, you're going to look at that background and go, yeah, that looks that looks like it's well lit. That looks like it's pretty even. But then go down to the black and white image near the bottom of the show notes, and you're going to see there's massive hotspots. That lighting is not close to even. And I can tell you, it's not because the screen is not, uh, it has like a bunch of wrinkles or any kinds of problems like that, or it's, it's not flat because it is. I pulled that sucker tight on this for this shoot and it's it's almost perfect the problem is is the lights i used so in this for this shoot again i'm i'm binding myself to the the inexpensive gear i, I actually don't have better lights anyway but i wanted some constant lights in the background 
um, so that I could use this app. This app won't work with Flash. If you're going to use Flash to light the background, um, um, you could have someone try to watch it and see and maybe even screen capture. Like if you had two people working on it. I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. I, I, it's new enough and I'm always kind of doing this by myself anyway. That's not really an option. It, constant lighting is what it's built for. That's what most people use to light their backgrounds is constant lighting rather than flash. And partially because of this reason, it's hard to get stuff evenly lit with flash on your background compared to constant light. So I, I, what I have is a couple of Young Nuo YN216 lights. And they're always, they're constant lightings, they're LEDs. It's $55 per light. And they do a really good job. Like they're, they're fairly bright. Um, and they, they, you have to buy batteries in addition. So it's $55 just for the light. And then you can get two batteries. And I have a link to all of this in the show notes for 25 bucks, 25 bucks for two plus 55 each. So it's around $130, $140 to, uh, to get these lights. Not totally cheap, but that's if you, if you've listened to the last master photography podcast, where I talk about the inexpensive lighting equipment, that, which is also in the show notes here for all the other equipment that I used in here. Then you know my definition. Cheap is like throwaway. Sometimes we do buy things that way because it doesn't really matter if you spend more money. You end up replacing it pretty quick anyway, like say a silver umbrella. Anyway, not to go into any more detail there. These two lights are, they're okay. They're, they're the only constant lights I have to try. So, you know, there, there is that. But they are, they're still very small sources of light. And I tried putting them in some soft boxes to see how that would go. They just weren't strong enough to really, really make that work. And they're not built to be in, in soft boxes. These lights aren't. So um, I used them. They work, obviously. I, I was successful in doing a composite. And you probably would be similarly successful if you used flashes. If that's all you've got is flash and soft boxes, then, you know, try to evenly light it with that. And uh, you can even just like take a shot, take it to your, like if you're testing, so you can figure out how you're going to set up your lights, take a shot, take the memory card, use it on your computer, take a look at it, see how it's working. If, it, if it's not going well, then you can take it back. Or another trick that I'd seen was, uh, stop down, use a higher shutter speed than you would normally on this background, especially with continuous lighting. Um, purposely make it really dark so that you can see where there's areas that get darker or brighter. Our eyes do a like incredible job of compensating for this. When you have um, proper exposure on your camera, we don't notice so much the difference between the bright and the dark in the image because it's our eyes are, are amazing. But the camera does. Camera sees that. And uh, and this app really illustrates, this green screener app really illustrates when it is not even. When it's not even, imagine that you are telling someone, go select all of the pixels in the image that are this color with this luminosity value, how, how bright or dark that pixel is. Well, it's going to select the pixels that match all of that. And it's not going to select any of the others. So then you have to start adding the other colors, the other gradients of green or white in the image. And it gets challenging. The, the closer you can have all those pixels to being exactly the same color and luminance, the easier it is to select them and say, yep, I don't want those. Those need to go away. And so you can, you can see why it is that is really, really important is getting super even lighting with no hot spots no super bright areas compared to darker areas on your background. And I just 
don't do that. <laughs> I, it takes more gear, I think. It's been a quest and I've never been able to get there with any of the lighting that I've got. And, uh, and I'm going to keep working on it because I, I really want that for video too. So I, I have, I have a lead on some DIY, uh, light boxes to, that I can make that I think will solve my problem that the issue is they're not portable. These lights, the young new lights are portable. All right. So there's that aspect of lighting. Another aspect of lighting in the area of tips that can help you be the most successful with this as possible is you really have to know what the lighting is going to be on your background that you're going to end up using. At least as super helps. If imagine that, I mean, our, our brains pick this out. Our brains search for inconsistencies really naturally. It, it doesn't take any expertise in photography to be able to just totally pick this out and things that don't belong when the light is not right. And I'm not talking about even lighting now. I'm talking about matching the lighting between the model and the new background that you're going to put that model onto. If there's a key light camera left and a fill light camera right when you shoot the model and they're swapped where the key light is camera, whatever, whatever I said before, what if they're opposite each other between the model and the background, it won't look right. It just won't look right when you put it in there. It's, it's going to be weird. People are going to be like, I'm not sure what's up with this photo, but there's something wrong with it. Is it Photoshopped? <laughs> and it's totally obvious when the lighting doesn't match. So if it's possible, it's, it's really good to be able to figure out what was the lighting that was used in the background. If you have the background beforehand, then you can plan. You can say, okay, analyze the background, figure out what you thought the lighting was. And try to replicate that when you're shooting the model so that it's that makes your job so much easier when you go to put the composite that model into that background to make it match and make it feel right. So so that's good. Okay, the last tip that gives you the best possible chance to make this go well. And it's a mistake I've I see constantly, especially in the sports photography world. I see people, I'm a member of several like uh, volume sports photography Facebook groups getting ideas there constantly, especially just background ideas, but getting ideas of things to do. It's, it's fun to see that. I see people with their setups and they have the model standing like inches away from the green screen. <laughs> and I mean, they're work making it work. So I, I guess it's not too terrible for them. And I, I think there is a plugin I'm trying out that helps them to handle that help the spill to really well but it's better just to have them a few feet away and and I know the reason they don't because they're using green screens they're using these pop-up green screens that are really small they're like four feet tall five feet tall and you can't take an athlete and even if they're really young athletes and have them stand four or five feet away from that background the background won't cover them entirely and now you have another problem because it's even harder to try to mask out something that's not a consistent background, a, a single color background. Um, so if you have the the gym they're in or the studio they're in or wherever they're at, outdoors, if you have that showing and it's, you know, something near them. Oh boy, that makes it much harder to extract them out. Not impossible. I've done it, but it's harder. So I know why they're having them stand so close to the background. They don't really have a choice with the lighting setup they're using and they're they're it's working. So, you know, great props to them. But if you can, you'll make it easier on yourself if you can have that model 
at least four or five feet away from the background to avoid having that background spill back onto them or spill over onto them. Now, I, I did that in this shoot with the green screen. I did that. I still had spill happening that I could tell. I mean, the hair, of course, that's going to happen. That's background to hair. It's no matter how far from the background you are, that's going to be there. And that's going to be hard to deal with unless you really get your lighting good on that background. Then it's it's a little easier. And adding hair light yourself into the image helps with that too. But I still did that. I, I got four to five feet away and I think I was six feet away and it still spilled. So it's not a full thing to do it, but it's way better than having them right up next to the background where, boy, the edges of their skin, it really reflects into their skin. Just crazy. Um, the other thing that it's like reflections, anything in the room that will reflect the green. So like an opposite wall, if if there's a bunch of bright green coming because you have that background lit and it's brighter than the other walls in the room, which is probably likely, then that green lights coming off of the the green screen and hitting the wall is going to reflect black and back and that that can end up reflecting on your model so as much as you can trying to not have reflecting things around to do it will will help you to to make this better um but it's it's all limitations of course it's all it's going to be a problem if you're in a a massive gym like i would be that would help because then then as long as you can get that model four or five six feet away you at least probably you're not likely to have reflections happening where that green's bouncing back at you um, like it would be in, in the closed space like my basement was. All right, so those are my tips. Those are the things you can do to give yourself the best chance for this. The first tip, I guess, was the whole topic for this episode. Use white. That <laughs> that really helps. It makes it so you don't have to worry as much, uh, not even close to as much about spill um, and, and getting the fine details so that they are okay, especially if it's going to go against a nice bright background, at least where the, the hair is going to be, then, uh, then you probably don't have to deal with it almost at all. And it's going to look great, but that green, that green can be tough. That green can be really hard to deal with and, uh, you'll have a better chance at it if you use white. So there, there's my argument for it. And now uh, for everyone who disagrees, because I'm sure there, there will be people who are really good at this. And uh, But if you, if you have tips, if you have other tips that I'm not aware of here, I'm not an expert in this. I'm just telling you that white's more forgiving than green. I'd love to hear those too. So you can comment over at phototacopodcast.com, comment on this post or joining the Facebook group, the Photo Taco Facebook group. You can drop me a line and at the email too. And I'll have all of that in the show notes so that you can contact the group. Plus... Um, let me just remind you, phototacopodcast.com has everything related to photography that I do. Um, I do a lot with Master Photography Podcast too. There's way more episodes. I, that's weekly and and I, I try to do Phototaco Podcast monthly. Um, but I have a lot of back catalog. If you've liked this episode, if you've, you like the way I explain things, if you like the topics and, and the time that I've taken to make it so that you know you, you can understand this, this is the effort I put into all the Photo Taco podcasts. And um, you can go search through them over at phototacopodcast.com. Just there's a search box right at the top, even on mobile. I made sure that that happened on mobile. Then you can go there and just type in any topic. And it's very likely I have an episode. If I don't, then you can drop me a note through any of the contact information that's there. There's uh, phototacopodcast at gmail.com. There's 
uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can contact me and suggest a topic. If you've got a big burning question and I don't already have an episode on it, then go drop me a note and uh, I'll add it to the list. I have a, quite a large list of topics that I want to cover. And uh, that's, that is it for this episode. I hope you you have enjoyed it. And I'll see you again in about a month. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!